For those who have not been with us, we are in the book of Leviticus. So if you turn in your Bibles there, um, we'll be uh, moving through the book of Leviticus. And as you know, we're going through a book at a bo- of the Bible at a time. And we're supposed to do them in one week, but so far we failed at that. So uh, we're going to try. Uh, my wife and I have been watching a show called Alone on the History Channel. And in this show, they take... Uh, 10 survivalists. So these people have been through different tests. In fact, they get a whole bunch of survivalists together and they put them to the test. And these are the last 10 that have made the test so far. And so they gather up these 10 uh, survivalists and they give them 10 items of their choosing. Uh, Many things are not on the list they can choose. but they are given 10 things to take out into the wilderness. And so they are dropped off uh, next to a big body of water, and uh, they are to last as long as they can in that place. And the last man or woman standing gets $500,000. Pretty cool. So we get to watch them, and, and it, it's not like the Bear Gorilla style where they have a camera crew and stuff. You have a ca- these people have just a camera or a couple cameras, and they're videoing themselves over these days to see how well they can survive in those places. And so it starts out usually pretty exhilarating. Uh, the, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful place, and so they're putting their camps together, and it's fun to watch them. But then, then some of them run into bears and mountain lions. And they say, no, no, I'm not doing this. And so they're all given a sat phone so they can call and say, I need someone to pick me up. <laughs> and so they're right around the corner. They come and pick them up and take them out. And, but, but many, you know, they, they last the first few days. And, and then they, it's exhilarating, exciting as they're building things. And it's fun to watch how they make their camps. And, and, and it doesn't take long, though, because they become very uncomfortable in that place. Whether it's the mountain lions or the bears or their camp's not working or there's a, a rat, a, a mouse that's eating up some of their stuff in their, their tent, uh, it becomes very uncomfortable. But it doesn't take much long after that that it's beyond discomfort. They become, they feel very alone. And they begin missing people back home. And they, they miss the comforts of home. It's, it's almost like you can see them like putting their hands out, but nothing there. Like, I can't, can't call anyone. I can't FaceTime anyone. I can't look up my website. I can't, uh, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I've, I've done these little, you know, I've put my plays together. I have, there's nothing to do with myself. And every one of them, you see, begins to break down. Every one of them. The 10 best survivalists, they break down. Alone. But then hunger sets in. And hunger changes the ball game because they begin to be, to be more sad, to be more afraid, to become weak and not able to even navigate uh, their surroundings. And oftentimes they're just falling down and they're wondering, am I going to make it? I don't think I can make it much longer. And they go out and try to catch fish or, or try to trap something, and they never trap anything. They're, it looks great, like uh, in the little book you read, like how to trap things. It doesn't really work. And there's less and less for them to eat, and they become hungrier and hungrier and hungrier and despondent 
and many of them just have to tap out until there's just one. This is where we find the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. They have left a terrible place in Egypt in slavery, and they are wandering around in the wilderness, and they're coming to this mountain, but as they're going, hunger begins to set in, and they begin to doubt themselves, they begin to doubt their God, they begin to doubt Moses, they cry out, oh, if I could just have the comfort of home, if we could just have some leeks like we had in Egypt. You know it's bad when leeks are your comfort food. If only we could have what we had back, some lentils and some chickpeas. Woo! They're, they lost they had seemingly had lost everything, and they were lost in that wilderness. But God still led and guided them and directed them, passed through them through the Red Sea, brought them to this mountain, and there God is making this covenant. We talked about last week, he's, he's, it's almost like a marriage ceremony that he's having with, the, with his children. He is going to be their God. And they, they, as we talked about last week, they build this tabernacle, this place where God can be with them. But this all is a, a very dangerous thing. They need God. They need God. They need Him for His provision, something to eat. They need Him for His guidance, the pillar of fire that leads them through the wilderness. They need Him for His strength and His favor and His company. They need him for all of these things. But they've also seen God shake mountains. They've seen God open seas and then close them over his opponents. They've seen God, the spirit of God and the death angel go and kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. This is a glorious and powerful and dangerous God, but you need him. How is it that you can invite him to be near you or that he would invite himself to be near you? It's a dangerous thing. And God sets out these provisions. If you are going, if I'm going to live in the camp, as we see it happens in Exodus and then Leviticus, if I'm going to be in the middle of the camp, if I'm going to be in the midst of my people, what I'm going to do is I'm going to need you to be holy like I am holy, God says. And so he sets out a way for that to happen, a way for the, the people of God to be set apart, to be unique like God is unique. And last week, as we looked at Leviticus, we looked at all kinds of rules that were created. We, lo we looked at, there were sacrifices and there were offerings that were made. And remember that butterfly we talked about? And on the other side, we talked about uh, the, these different uh, feasts that they would have to remember God's faithfulness. And so God was saying, if you're going to be my people, I want you to follow along in these things. You need to know about sacrifice. You need to know that sin equals death and that I have provided... God the Father has provided for his people a way to be forgiven of their sins. You need to know that you need to bring thanksgiving in, in worship to me. You need to know that you need to have a regular remembrance of my faithfulness and your unfaithfulness and how good I am. 
This is, this is how you become set apart. This is how you become unique. And then I want you to wear different clothes than everybody else. I don't want you to mix clothes. I want you to have it made out of one kind of material so that you remember that I am one God. I'm not like the gods around you. I want you to be with me, and I want you to be set apart and different. And I want you to live the right kind of lives. I, I want you to love your brothers and sisters. I want you to care for the orphan and the widow. I want there to be justice. And God is saying because he is a just God. And finally he ends with, in the very, very middle, the, the focus of it is this day of atonement in which God is going to have his high priest come and offer sacrifice for the sins of all the people. At the beginning of Exodus, I mean, the, the book of Leviticus, we read this line. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. If you were here last week, you realize that God's spirit had entered into the tent, but the, that Moses was not allowed to go in. It's because God was setting up this kind of worship. He, we had this, this yellow bucket out here, and we were talking about how this bucket represents this, this Levitical, uh, the Levitical process, this place of worship that God, the way of worship that God was calling his people to. And he set it all up in the book of Leviticus. This is what I want you to do. This is how you're supposed to be in order to be set apart in my people. And so he created all these laws and this structure so that we might know that God is holy and his people can enter into his presence and the living God can live among us. But we can't be like the rest of the world. We have to be different. And we said that we remember this, this structure that God had created, but then he was going to come and he was going to fill that up. The promise of a structure is that it will be filled up. And so the book of Leviticus tells how this is supposed to happen. But then we look over to the next book, the book of Numbers, and in Numbers 1.1 it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. So that means they did what God said. That God now let Moses come in. Now God is going to be interacting with his people. He is going to provide for his people. He is going to encourage his people. He's going to give strength to his people. But they're going to need to continue to pour out sacrifices. So they might be holy like he is holy. Wash their hands, wear the right clothing, eat the right food. So the children of Israel did that. The, Moses was loud inside of the temple. Now as we, we talk about Leviticus, there's some questions that probably come to your mind. Why don't we still do those same things? Are they extinct? Are they are they just archaic? They're old ways that we don't need to adopt anymore. Like the sacrifice of animals. I think like we could get in trouble. <laughs> like someone might put us in jail if we did that. Why don't we do those things? Is it okay for us to eat bacon? Is it okay for us to, to live the way we're living without sacrifice, without these kinds of offerings? Should I follow some of it, but not other parts? And is there any value to any of these laws? Let's watch the story that God unfolds for us. The children of Israel continued in these practices. 
And year after year, they would go and sacrifice. They would wash their hands. They would eat the right foods. They would celebrate the Sabbaths. In fact, they loved them so much, sometimes they would celebrate a Sabbath of Sabbaths. They would take a day before it so they could just enjoy, enjoy the worship even more. But as you see the history of Israel, it didn't take long for them to forget about these things. To worship not just this way, but worship all kinds of ways. Building up high places of worship, Asherah poles and others, to worship the other gods. Or they would forget the worship altogether. Or they would be worshiping. But as they worshiped, their hearts were far from God. So they had the practice, they had the form, but they weren't holy. Did you hear that? They had the practice, the ritual, but their hearts were far from God. And God sends his prophets. He says, if you're going to continue like this, God says, I'm going to send other people to come and to wake you up. You've broken the covenant. I have not walked away from you. You've walked away from me. And they'll take the Ark of the Covenant, the children of Israel, they'll take it into battle and weaponize the presence of God. And God says, I'm not going to have that. So he gives over the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And the prophets say, now, if we continue like this, God is saying that he will send us off into exile. And what happens, Jerusalem is overtaken and the temple itself is destroyed and the children of Israel are gone. No longer in the presence of God. God's no longer with them and they're in exile. And as all this is happening, as it seems like, what good is this law if no one can follow it? What good is it? It seems that all is lost for the people of God. Because they can't follow the law well enough to keep God's presence. They can do the actions, but they need a heart change. And then, and then, the whisper of the prophets. Jeremiah. Jeremiah is prophesizing, prophes- prophesizing during this time when, they, when the, the, the prophets are calling the children of Israel back to faithfulness. And he says this, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Hey, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Wait a minute. They had the procedures. They had the way. They had the knowledge of understanding. But their problem was their hearts were wicked. And the only thing that's going to change that is if the law then is not just something that's written down on tablets, but it's written on their hearts. So how does that happen? 
How do you write it on your hearts? How do you have a fundamental change in who you are? Can you just make it happen? No, we can't make it happen. You just can't make it happen. It requires a fundamental changing of the heart, but how can that happen? There was whispers among the prophets that there would be one who would come and make that happen. That God himself would come, a Messiah, a Savior, and Jesus came. And in the first part of Jesus' ministry, found in John chapter 2, Jesus, he hasn't done any miracles, and in John chapter 2, the very very, uh, beginning of his ministry, he comes to a wedding in Cana. And there he is with his family, and they're ready to celebrate. And a very scary moment happens for the host, where he realizes that all the wine is gone in this long celebration, and that he he has failed the groom and the bride. And so they come to Mary and and, and tell Mary what the problem is. And Mary goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what can we do about this? Do something. Do something about this. And Jesus says, woman, my time has not come. But I don't think she was satisfied with that answer. Because Jesus loved his mom too. And this is Jesus' commands. Listen. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So... Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine. He drank of it. And he said, he didn't know where it came from, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the, his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Did you catch it? Did you see what happened? Purification. This is what was talked about in Leviticus. But there's something else that needs to happen, something miraculous that needs to happen. And what is that? Water to wine, purification to the blood of Jesus. So that Jesus fulfills all of that in Leviticus. And listen, listen to what he says. Why did you save the good wine till last? You see, this was a great love of the children of Israel. But this is the best thing. This is the best thing. The blood of Christ. Jesus is then going to fulfill these promises. He is going to fulfill all that was written about him, all the hopes that were to come. 
He is, the, he is bringing about the new covenant in his death. He goes as a lamb to slaughter. We looked in Leviticus and we saw the role of the high priest. And Jesus is now called the high priest. He is the one that goes and does the sacrifice. But he's not just the high priest, but he's also the goat or the lamb to be sacrificed. The goat whose blood is poured out for the forgiveness of his people. The, the, The goat that is sent out into the wilderness. The sins never to be seen again. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the scapegoat for his people. Amen. Why did they have to sacrifice year after year? If you had to choose between your child and a goat, which one would you choose? I know, I know. Some of you are saying, um, but I know what you really believe. Hands down, there's no comparison between the two. So when an animal dies, it needs to die over and over again to pay for my sins and for your sins. But when, when God sees his son, who does he see as the most valuable? And he sacrifices his sin for you and me. A, a sacrifice that doesn't have to be done year to year or day to day. It is done one time, all time. Forgiving our past sins, our present sins, and the sins to come. That's good news. Only accomplished through Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what does this mean for us? We have a, so what? We have a a great high priest, so much, so what? He's died in our behalf. It is a promise that we have the forgiveness of sins. It is a promise that now God can live with us. Listen to what he says in John chapter 14. Jesus says before he departs, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day will you know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you hear it? What does this mean for us? It means the God of Israel, the God who parts Red Seas, the God who knows the number of hairs on your head, who takes care of the sparrow, that he can live in your heart, that he can have fellowship with you, 
that He can be your provision, your power, and your sanctification, and your joy. He can live within you. You and me, just like we are. He can live. He can live there. And we be can become temples of the living God. What does this mean for the for the rest of the world. Well, the last words of Jesus before he departed from his disciples in Matthew 28 told them, told his disciples, now go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not just to our Jewish brothers, the children of Israel, but to all people. And so God comes to Peter in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, and he, and he, he, he provides a way for for, the, for the, the, the Jews to love the Gentiles. And he says, you can eat freely of all these things now. He's opening it up so the Gentiles can be a part of the kingdom. In Acts chapter 15 in the Jerusalem Council, the question came, do we, can, can we bring in these people into faith who haven't followed the law? Those who have not been circumcised. Listen in. It says in chapter 15, verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the, the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. If you don't do these things that we talked about in Leviticus, you can't be, can't be saved. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after they had much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, while you are putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear... But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You see, we, we don't have to follow this law. In order to be right with God, it has been a grace that's been given to us. It is a gift. You can't do this well enough to get in God's favor. You have to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. Day 80, on alone. There's only two people left. They're looking very scrawny. It's become dangerous. Hungry. Mentally out of it. For you and me, If everything is stripped away, what do you have? What do you have? Hungry, tired, lost, and lonely. All you have to do is call out. And you will be saved. Call out, God, I need you. Please change my heart. 
come live within me. There are those here today, I believe, that you've, maybe you've done okay. Maybe you're a great, great survivalist. You're seeing cracks. And you're getting worn out. And you're making bad decisions. I want to tell you, there is a God who loves you so much, who would do all of this to call you to himself and give you the privilege and the honor of living in your heart. To the saints, as Justin read earlier, still, be ye holy as God is holy. Throw off those old ways and walk with our Lord. Call upon him every day for your provision. We are constantly tapping out. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I need you. I need you. I need you. But the good news, he's always just right around the corner. He is there for you. The living God says he will live within you. For those on the outside looking in, I encourage you, call to him. You, are, you may just die a bag of bones rotting in the wilderness. Don't do it. Don't do it. Turn to Jesus. Saints, we have a great inheritance. Embrace our Lord. Live in his power. Live in his joy. Obey his words. Every one of us needs a rescuer.